In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, well, um, I wasn't sure whether anyone would come up tonight, because tonight's topic title is nowhere near as uh, interesting, um, but it is actually about something incredibly important. So this whole series I'm doing for Lent, I've called Finding God in Ordinary Life. Um, and tonight we're looking at a thing that sounds unexciting, if not bizarre, what's called a plan of life. Um, and what I'm going to try and describe tonight is how, if we're going to find God in ordinary life, then there's certain things we need to plan into our life, schedule in. So that's really what we're looking at tonight. Now before we think about tonight, just to remember what I was talking about last week. Uh, so about all kinds of different activities and how God can be found in each activity. That each thing is made by him in the natural order. That he wants us to do it well, offer it to him. And in doing that, we find God even in the most unexciting and mundane of activities. So all things can be brought to him. And I focused on the pivotal example of work how if we're doing it for love and for the glory of God, then we'll find joy in that. And if, if everything we're doing, we're offering to him in love, then joy will be found there. And this quote from St. Josemaria indicates that to be happy, what you need is not an easy life, but a heart which is in love. A heart which is in love, not just in moments, not just in the big picture, but in love and the doing of the small, everyday, minute-by-minute things. All right. So, what I want to start thinking about more concretely is the question of what are the tools for holiness? I've got a toolkit there as an image. You know, all kinds of different things in life that they're tools for that thing. Well, holiness, or well, what are the tools for that? And in a sense, it should be easy for us. We live 2,000 years after Christ. There have been 2,000 years of saints in the church that have been living and experimenting and figuring all this out for us. So there's a great wealth of wisdom that we just need to tap into to know what are the, the tools for holiness. Well, I want to start by thinking, so we've got an image there of a monk. What are his tools for holiness? So the monasteries, if you think about it, they had that huge wealth of intellectual um, riches that, you know, even when the Roman Empire fell... They had all the wisdom that there was. And not just the academic wisdom, but the spiritual wisdom. So the tools to holiness were mapped out in various forms of the monk's life. And they had in particular this thing that was called a rule of life. So if you, I'm sure many of you are familiar with the Benedictines, the Benedictines have a rule, um, which comes from the Latin to, to measure something to measure, to direct something. So a rule of life, um, that a monk doesn't just think up for himself how he's going to try and get to heaven. By becoming a monk, he enters a community, he joins a way of life in which there's a rule laid out for him 
And all he needs to do is live that rule well, and he'll get to heaven. Because it's been all figured out for him. It's been mapped out. So he has a rule of life. Um, Well, I'm sure what I've said so far is pretty familiar to you. What bits do you all know are in the monk's rule of life? What does a monk do every day? Get up early. Pretty much every monk gets up early. That's in his rule of life. He prays. Prayer of the church. A bit more specifically, so seven times a day, a monk will say communally um, the office, um, which is a collection of psalms and scripture readings. What else? Daily mass, right? Work. Work as well. That will be scheduled for him as well. He won't decide when shall I work today. His timetable will tell him. It'll be mapped out. Silence. Silence, again, that's in his timetable. So how is he going to find God in silence? Well, it's right there, laid out for him in his rule of life. Penance of some sort? Yes, um, that would tend to be something that would be an aspect, as I will indicate. There are some things that, even in a monk's rule of life, he'd have some personal flexibility. So... Yes, he's told to do penance, but which particular penances he's doing um, aren't public for everybody to see. Um, Lectio Divina. Lectio Divina, exactly. Um, Reading, prayerful reading, um, particularly of scripture, but of other sources as well. Um, So let me see if we've... Yes, that's everything I'd remember. Everything, so... Prolonged mental prayer and communal nighttime vigils, communal silences, Lectio Divina or spiritual reading. So a monk would do that communally. Um, He'd also do it privately. Um, He'd have private devotions. Um, There'd be things that we might call a private devotion, like the Angelus. That would be, he'd hear the bell and he'd know it's the time for the Angelus. Daily Mass and, as we said, the Liturgy of the Hours. So he doesn't have to think, how am I going to get to heaven? He just has to live the rule. He just has to do it well. If he makes his interior correspond in proper attitudes and dispositions to what's laid before him, it's all there. The tools for holiness are all in his rule of life. All right, well, I want to start by addressing a preliminary question. So before we're thinking about a plan of life for yourselves, do you actually have the time to pray? Um, Because we all live busy lives. Um, The majority of you here are retired, more or less, at least half maybe retired. I've seen that mystery with my parents, that they reach retirement, and instead of settling down to do nothing, uh, they seem to be more busy. Um, but it's not just when you're... And when you're younger, you've got more energy. Well, there's that as well, yes. So we all have this phenomenon where it doesn't seem like we've got time to do anything extra. My day's full. Do I have time to pray? Well, I want to give you an answer to that uh, that the great John Paul II gave us. Happy memory. Um, so here's 
a long quotation from him, but he says, do not be afraid to give your time to Christ. Yes, let us open our time to Christ, that he may cast light upon it and give it direction. He is the one who knows the secret of time and the secret of eternity. And he gives us his day as an ever new gift of his love. The rediscovery of this day, he's talking in particular about praying on Sunday and Sunday Mass, is a grace which we must implore, not only so that we may live the demands of faith to the full, but also so that we may respond concretely to the deepest human yearnings. And here's the punchline. Time given to Christ is never time lost, but it's rather time gained, so that our whole, our relationships and indeed our whole life may become more profoundly human. So the particular example is thinking of their Sunday Mass. Well, yes, you do give up time to get to Sunday Mass, but going to Sunday Mass changes something. It changes your whole pattern of relationships, such that you end up with a time gained, that it changes the measure, the use of the rest of the time you So, if you have life with God, if you pray, we have the Lord with us in all our difficulties. Got an image here of a, a plant growing. That if we, we've been made by God to have life with him, you can only grow to maturity, the way a plant there will grow from a seed to maturity, if you are with him, if you are with him in prayer. Priest, I read his materials a lot, a chap called Edward Holloway. Um, he talks about grace is the sunshine of the soul. If you're not praying, if you don't have that sunshine on your soul, then your soul won't grow to maturity the way a plant grows to maturity. So, quoting him again, do not be afraid to give your time to Christ. So yes, it's giving something up, but we will gain something more back. Now, St. Jose Maria, um, who uh, indicated last time he's a saint of the 20th century, died in 1975, Spanish saint. He particularly wrote, uh, wrote and worked for the sanctification of lay people. And what I'm drawing on here with this phrase, a plan of life, was his terminology. He was asking, well, a lay person, how does a lay person plan his life to gather the wisdom of the tradition and apply it? But he talked to this, about this question, do I have time to pray? He talked about the multiplication of time. And he was reflecting, and over the years, I'm sure it's my experience too, that actually the more I pray, I somehow end up with more time in the day. That by praying, it somehow puts a spin and order a different way of living the rest of my day so that it ends up somehow being more productive. I end up having more time, a multiplication of time, not less. Which is making the same point as John Paul II in a slightly different manner. So, yes, Time given to prayer is a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice that gains more than we give up. So why should we pray? Well, as I've said, it helps us. We gain from it. Um, 
I want to use this quotation from St. Ephraim. Um, he said, birds fly, fish swim, people pray. So just it, a bird there, it's just natural for the bird to fly. It's what he does. Well, we have been made with a supernatural destiny. We have been made with a spiritual soul. It is just natural to us to pray. And for us not to pray would be like that glorious, I guess it's a parakeet, um, whatever it is, um, to spend its entire life grubbling along on the jungle floor. I mean, it could, but it would never be reaching what it's made for. It's part of what we are. It's the fulfillment of what we are. Briefly to ask the question where to pray, and this is, I think, an important thing to be thinking of if we're thinking about a plan of life. We don't just pray in church. We don't just pray with other people. We also pray alone. So and sometimes in the Gospels, Jesus says, go to your private room and pray. Other times he says, where two or three are gathered in my name, he's there. So where to pray? Well, there's different ways of praying and we need some of each of those different ways planned into our life in a, a proper balance and then how to pray well again just as we don't only pray alone or only pray in church there's more than one way how to pray and we need to have within us and within our personal living a variety of those different forms of prayer. And let me just reiterate this point. It's one of the mistakes it's very easy to see people make where they will have just one vision of what holiness looks like. Holiness looks like saying more and more rosaries. Holiness looks like saying longer and longer litanies. And so and so, they're really holy because they say very, very long litanies. Um, well, that, you know, I say the rosary every day. Um, it's a huge part of my spiritual life. Um, Our Lady of Fatima, I'm sure, is the one who has brought me to the priesthood. But holiness isn't just the rosary. There are other patterns of prayer we need to have as well. There are other people who would say that silent prayer, private prayer, without any set prayers is the way to pray. Well, that's hugely important as well. And as I went to seminary, I was kind of structurally taught how to do that. Sadly, I think I'd never had that kind of offered to me in a structured way until I got to seminary. But you don't need to be a seminarian or a priest to be doing what's called mental prayer, which is one of the points I want to come on to in a minute. So how to pray? Well, there are different ways. So we have set prayers, like your Our Father, your Hail Mary, and so forth. We also need spontaneous prayers, so little aspirations during the day. So I do something, I say, Jesus, help me, or thank you, Jesus, or little aspirations. And then what's called mental prayer needs a combination of these four things, adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, and supplication. A balanced spiritual life doesn't only say sorry to God or only say thanks to him. We have all of these as part of what we're doing. So back to the monk's rule of life. So I've added here the words variety and balance. 
So he doesn't only have his private devotions. He doesn't only have prolonged mental prayer. He doesn't only have the liturgy of the hours. He's got a balance of all of these. And we might note, I've not listed it there, but as someone said, his rule of life includes his working, that that is also timetabled in for him. Well, that's the monk's rule of life. Well, obviously, the point I'm going to be moving on to is that we need to somehow acquire some kind of rule for ourselves. But if we're going to have a rule of life for ourselves, we need to be very clear about which parts of this are more important and which parts are less important. So if I'm not going to do everything that the monk's doing, well, which are the bits I need to be pulling out as more important, which are more pivotal, which are hinges that other things build upon. And in thinking of that, the answer to that question, I don't want to just be thinking, well, I like doing this bit, or I like doing that bit. Well, it's not, it's looking to the saints, looking to the experience of the saints to see what are the bits that holiness hinges, pivots on. If you're looking for... Um, for the reading, um, come on in. Place just there. So, if you're looking for some further reading, I'd strongly recommend this book by St. Francis de Sales. It's called An Introduction to the Devout Life. Um, and significantly, he wrote it for lay people. I think it was the 17th century. Um, and it's an incredible summary of the breadth of um, the wisdom that goes before him. He's writing 17th century, not 20th. But even by the 17th century, obviously, there's a, a huge amount of wisdom that he's kind of collecting together. So what does it mean to go to confession? How do you do a good confession? He maps it all out for you. What does it mean to go to communion? How often should you go to communion? How should you go to communion better? He maps it all out for you. And he's not just saying what he thinks, but he's quoting the wisdom of those that have gone before him. So strongly recommend that book to you. Um, you can have a glance later. Um, so I want to define my terms now. What I'm going to indicate is that the two things above all, if you're going to kind of start at a minimum, that you want to be having in your spiritual life, are mental prayer and spiritual reading. Well, what is mental prayer? So I have here an image of Teresa of Avila. Um, I was looking through her works earlier. Um, possibly the doctor of mental prayer in that she wrote a huge amount about it, wrote about her own experiences of prayer, but kind of systematized them for the sisters under her direction. Um, and so although people like St. John of the Cross are considered as more erudite and fancy, actually he's reflecting on what she was experiencing. Um, well, what is this thing that's called mental prayer? Well, it's kind of on one level obvious from the word. Mental prayer isn't vocal prayer. Well, vocal prayer is when I'm saying things out loud. I'm saying an Our Father. I'm saying a Hail Mary. I'm saying Mental prayer is the prayer in my mind to the Lord. It doesn't have a, a structured 
set of words. I'm not saying the Psalms in the Bible. I'm not reading um, a passage from the Gospels. I am simply alone, intimate, before the Lord. What else was I going to say? Yeah, so, not vocal prayers, not recited prayers, not listenings, not rosaries, not Bible reading. Um, so all of these are hugely important things, but they're not what mental prayer is. And what's special about mental prayer is it is a moment of particular intimacy with the Lord. That there's kind of no shield between me and God. Uh, also means there's kind of no intermediary, and obviously... Set prayers like the rosary or litany are very helpful in teaching me things to say that I might not think to say. Or if I'm not in the mood to say something, well, a set prayer will kind of spark me off into what I kind of should be saying. But what's precious about mental prayer is it's this intimacy, alone with the Lord, that I'm just there before him. I am speaking to him, I'm listening to him. I'm intimate with him. Teresa of Avila describes it or defines it this way. She says, mental prayer is nothing else than an intimate friendship, a frequent heart-to-heart conversation with him by whom we know ourselves to be loved. A heart-to-heart conversation. So that obviously shouldn't be complicated. It shouldn't be difficult. And maybe to point out the obvious, a good conversation involves listening as well as talking. Uh, So just because I'm saying it's a conversation with the Lord doesn't mean I'm doing all the talking. I'm going to be with him for an hour. doesn't mean I've run out of things to say. I've got to go now. Um, Well, I can stay listening. Um, So this is what mental prayer is. And when the saints talk about the things that are kind of really pivotal in bringing someone to holiness. Mental prayer is of huge importance because we have this opportunity to be intimate with the Lord. Second definition, spiritual reading. Um, So what have I said there? Ah, yes, but it's not. I googled spiritual reading, um, gave me tarot cards. So that's the wrong kind of spiritual reading. So it is about your spirit, um, but not about vague, weird spiritual things. It's reading that's going to feed my spiritual life. So what kind of reading is it not? Well, it's not study reading. So you all know you can go to a talk that's a great religious talk, but it's very academic. It's teaching you something teaching you something that isn't aimed to change your life it's aimed to change what you think and we do need that kind of talk and we do need that kind of book spiritual reading is different it has a practical focus it's going to change your living change your praying might talk about the virtues and how what patience is and how I need to grow in patience and how I need to fight impatience um It's a spiritual reading. It's about the spiritual life. 
not academic study to form your spirit and character, um, and it draws on the wisdom of the saints. So if Sister here is doing her spiritual reading, she's going to be, if not reading from the Bible, she's going to be reading the wisdom of the saints. And if she's reading the Bible, if it's spiritual reading, then it won't be study reading. Because you can read the Bible in a very studious manner, breaking it down into looking in footnotes for what the Greek meaning of this word was and whatever, um, and reading a, a letter of St. Paul and noting the structure of the different chapters and how this chapter relates to that chapter as opposed to the other chapter. and the, so. I'll, well, that's very different to when you read it and are thinking, how does this apply to me? How does this change my life? So we need both types, but spiritual reading has this spiritual focus, a focus on my living my life. So back to the monk's rule of life. So here he has everything laid out for him. He's got variety, he's got balance. Well, I want to make a comparison now. So Opus Dei is the organization that was set up by St. Josemaria. It was set up in order to sanctify lay people. So he wasn't wanting a monk. And he said explicitly, he said, I, I'm not making you monks in the world. You are lay people who are to be saints. You are not to be little monks outside of the monastery. You are to be lay people. So the starting point of the focus, therefore, is... It's different. So I said they're retooling. So we've kind of got the same toolbox from the tradition, but it has to all be changed. Um, this isn't a new word to say. I just did a Google search for normal man. <laughs> normal man. So a normal man should be able to become a saint. It's not some kind of weird person that becomes a saint um, or some unusual person. And he won't look any different when he becomes a saint. Hopefully the smile will be a bit more profound. He will have more love in his heart. Um, but he'll still be a normal person. So a numeracy of Opus Dei um, has what they call a plan of life. They don't call it a rule of life. And you can see a correspondence between the different things um, the monk does and a numeracy does. And just to point out, a numeracy of Opus Dei He's doing a lay job. He works nine to five in some, could be a bus driver. Opus Dei, in, I think they've got a bus driver in Scotland, a taxi driver somewhere else. Uh, he could be working in an office. Um, so he's doing normal work. Um, but he's trying, he's got these same things, more or less, but he's got a plan that's given to him to fit into his schedule, his, his personal schedule. So morning and evening mental prayer, spiritual reading and study reading. So those are distinguished, but he's got a time he's supposed to give to each of them. They'd say the rosary every day. They have a various list of short prayers they'd say every day, like the Angelus. Um, they'd make a visit to the Blessed Sacrament. They'd come to a tabernacle once a day. Um, and if at all possible, they'd be getting to daily Mass and receiving communion once a day. Now you can see that is actually quite a tough, um, it's a full-on timetable. 
but it's been structured and split up in a way that is aimed for someone who isn't hidden in the monastery. He's not secure in the monastery. He's got the same more or less lineup of things, but he's got to figure out for himself when he's going to do them. The bell isn't going to ring for him the way it does for the monk. All right. Not a monk, not a numerous day. If you Google search normal parishioner, this man comes up. Um, so how are we going to take the tools of the trade um, and apply them to a normal parishioner? What is a realistic plan of life for a normal parishioner? Well, one of the points I hope you will leave tonight thinking is that there is a, a graduality in what you can start doing and aim to do. So that just because you look at something here and think, oh, that's very far, I'm not doing that at all. Well, we can start doing a part of something, hopefully to progress to more, but even if not progressing to more, by seeing what in the monk's rule of life is most essential and can be plucked out and applied to myself, then if I'm going to scale it down, I know what's kind of the most important thing to be doing. Was well, a long-term goal. Um, so at Numerivopus Day, that's what he does. Many parishioners, so I know it is possible, can do a daily meditation of a half-hour a day of mental prayer. And that is... Quite a commitment, but it is possible to fit in. Spiritual reading every day. Rosary every day. Maybe while driving to work, maybe while walking to work, maybe walking some other time. Have some other short prayers that you say during the day, uh, and if possible, get to occasional weekday mass. So this is scaled down, but it is actually still um, a plan. And if you're going to not start here, well, where do you start as a short-term plan? What's your roadmap going to be to head you towards that? Well, I would pluck out mental prayer and spiritual reading, a morning offering and night prayer. But mental prayer, to not start with a half hour, but five minutes a day. So this is Opus Dei's strategy. Um, and it's, they're the only organization I know of that has been this explicit in mapping out um, the benefits of mental prayer for the lay state, rather than just saying, well, you're only a lay person, so don't really worry about being a saint. Don't really worry about being holy. Um, they'd say five minutes of mental prayer, five minutes of intimate prayer with the Lord, five minutes in which every day you've committed yourself, you have planned, I'm going to give God five minutes of mental prayer. Five minutes in which I'm going to be alone with him, talking to him, listening to him. Spiritual reading, um, which is a pivotal tool if we're going to form ourselves. If you're not just going to form yourself with the BBC and Channel 4 so that you get your notion of God and how to live from the unbelieving world, well, you need to be reading some good stuff. So you need to have some 
good spiritual books that you're reading. But you also need to be realistic, to not say, I'm going to read a half hour every day and then end up reading nothing. Five minutes a day is just about enough that actually you can read something useful. You can slowly get through a good book on five minutes a day. But it's also short enough that if you're starting out, it's something you can and then the hinges at the beginning and end of the day of the morning offering and night prayers um, are very important um, as the beginning and end of the day. Okay, I'm just going to fly through these, but just to point out I, some daily prayers, some set prayers to kind of scatter through your day. Well, what are the important ones? Well, a morning offering, the very start of the day to offer the day to God. So you can say a set version like this or one you make up of your own. Grace before and after meals. Um, the Angelus. So you know, this classic painting of the two workers there in the field. They've heard the bell chime in the parish church for the Angelus and they pause what they're doing and they say the Angelus. So my phone chimes to me at midday and at 12, the same way it does for a monk. I don't have a monastery bell, but I've got a phone. And I can set it to tell me, to remind me to pray. Um, and it doesn't take long to say the Angelus, but it causes me to, to pause my day, to remember actually that if I've forgotten, and many times I do, that God's here, that I'm working for him, um, that his grace is sustaining me if I will but call upon him. And then some night prayers of thanksgiving, contrition, and trust yourself to the care of guardian angel. So, closing question, summing all that up. Um, do you have a personal roadmap to heaven, to holiness? And... Oh, technology... So the monk, he's got his rule of life as his roadmap. Um, the numerous opus day, he's got his plan of life as his roadmap. Um, you too can have a plan of life that you can use and you can progressively increase, focusing on the pivotal hinges of what's most important um, and the wisdom of the saints to get us to heaven. <laughs>